Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for making the time to speak with me today. Oh, Elena, this is, I'm so excited to, to talk. We've, we had a great introductory call a couple of weeks ago, and I love what you're talking about. You know, any kind of a shift is always a challenge for people. Absolutely. And I know you've had some shifts in your life. So we'll, we're going to get into that as, as well as your book, which I think is very interesting and inspiring for, for women, not just for women, but for everybody really. And, um, but before we get deeper into that, tell us a little bit about your career story, because that is what my audience is really interested in is those real stories of real people. Well, my, my getting to my career was such not a not a challenge but changes you know when when I grew up girls really had the choice of being a nurse or a teacher so I like taking care of people I like talking to people I like so I chose to be a nurse and then I was in a car accident so I dropped out of nursing and when I was well my when my back healed I joined the Air Force and then I spent four years in the Air Force and so got married while I was in the Air Force and when I got out we moved back to where I was from and he was still still in so I went back to school except then I decided I wasn't going to do nursing I was going to do social work and then I had my first daughter who was premature, six months, six weeks premature and spent a month in the NICU and kind of set some different things in motion. And so I dropped out of, of school again. And about a year later, I found out about computers. I had, this was pre when everybody had a computer. And I had no idea what a computer was. And I just said, oh, this is interesting. This is how my life goes a lot. Oh, this looks like fun. Let me try this. So I got my bachelor's degree. I was a senior in, um, in social work and I decided to do computers. So I did two more years to get a degree uh, a bachelor's in information systems. And then, so, so I became a software developer. Huh. And after a few years of that, you know, part of, uh, a great part of your audience is entrepreneurs. And I decided I wanted to work for a small entrepreneurial company and see, and do some consulting and see what I could do. So I, I got a job with this very tiny, there were three of us. And the challenge was none of us really knew what we were doing. We didn't know how to market. We didn't know how to sell. I thought they knew how to do that. And I was just going to be providing services. And after about six or eight months, it was like, this is not going anyplace, but I wanted I had wanted that job so bad. I just, I was like, I can't just quit. What can I do? And at the time we were living in Hawaii. My husband was stationed in Hawaii. 
And after work one day, I was driving home and at the gate of the base, there's a big sign that says, Masters in Information Systems classes starting next week. I said, ah, if I went back to school, I could quit my job. Mm -hmm. So I quit my job. I actually just went right to the education office, signed up, um, and went, went back to school and, and taught while I was going to school. So that then sent me on, I became a, a project manager and a program manager and started doing some consulting. And then after 10 years or so of that, what I realized was the challenge that all these companies had was leadership. Still and, do? <laughs> yeah, 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 they still do, right? You know, because and and I found out that I could take a team and just by asking some really basic questions that I thought were really basic questions, I could pull a team together, even if they if the project was behind, no matter what it was, I could pull the team together and we could move forward. So then I went and got my PhD in organizational behavior and started consulting and coaching. So you can see it, I, could, I tell people that what I am is I'm very right brain, left brain, because I'm very analytical and an idea generator on, you know, on one time, on one hand and very big picture thinking, you know, what could we do different on the other hand? So in technology, that's a very, a very unique position, especially to be coming from being a software developer mm -hmm. to being that very right brain person. Yeah. So I just want to say to anybody listening, that if you're not sure what you want to do, I've got some thoughts about that, but just try different things. Mm -hmm. Keep trying and, and you'll find, because even though, you know, we talk about what our strengths are and everything, really look at what is it that you would do? And when are you the happiest at your work? Hey you, thanks for watching. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to share it with friends and family who might find it interesting. Make sure to hit the subscribe button as well to stay up to date on weekly new videos that are gonna be coming out with some awesome guests that I bring on. And uh, if you have any questions, use the comment section to ask me questions, to interact. I look forward to talking to you. Mm. You know what I loved what you said earlier is that you tend to be the kind of person like, oh, this looks fun. And I think that's a great way to look at things like this is something I would enjoy. And I think a lot of people, that's not the first thing we ask ourselves. Right. So right. it's 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 very much not like that. We're usually influenced by so many external factors. So I think, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a big takeaway for me is like, and I, I find myself doing the same thing is that I've, I've, I've tried so many different things. And the minute I didn't enjoy it, um, you know, it was just it, the minute it started draining me to where it's not healthy for me anymore. I just move on. 
yeah and again like maybe I, I don't know and I used to always feel like it's just you know maybe it's not great and etc but it worked for me it works for me and um and and I think it's a good way to approach so it's interesting that you mentioned that and and I, I agree that um, from somebody who comes from that technical background, for you to also be able to see that bigger picture is a very unique skill set because I'm in tech and I work with a lot of software developers right now. And that's kind of my day to day. And I can tell you one of the biggest challenges that CEOs always come to us with is saying, we really need to develop that those soft skills. And a lot of those soft skills are from that right part, you know. So uh, creativity, um, uh, leadership, right? Um, uh, being curious, uh, critical thinking, like a lot of things, you know, because analytical people tend to be very analytical and very brilliant, but a mm -hmm. lot of times they have to really nurture this other side of them that we all have uh, to, to have that full kind of um, uh, persona, so to say, to be successful, at least in, in today's job market. Exactly. And one of the things that, I really talk a lot about is knowing why you want to do something. And, and this is for leaders. Why, why is your business so important to you? Why are you creating what you're creating? And the reality is money is not the most important thing. Money is an outcome and a support. It's really hard to have a successful business if it's not making money. Right. And it's hard to feel that something's worthwhile if you're not, if you're not, don't have some level of reward for it. So it's not like I'm saying money is not important. I'm just saying that the drive for money is different and you get different results than when as a leader, you, you've got a really clear vision why you're doing this and your employees have a really clear vision why what they're doing is important and it supports the company vision. Mm. What do you think is the biggest challenge right now for leadership? Like where do you feel is the disconnect? Because, and maybe the first question would be, because I think that's a big misconception that if somebody's in a leadership position, they know what they're doing, right? And I don't know if that, or, or they have the, well, Maybe they've earned their way up, right? But they don't always have the support or the resources available to them to do a good job, right? So, and I feel like that's a big misconception. And why do you think that is? Why do we continue to kind of put people up in positions, but then, you know, either they shouldn't be in those positions or if they should be, they're not provided that support that is needed to be a successful leader of today. Right. I mean, and this has been going on for years. You know, there's the, the, um, the old saying, promoted to the height of your incompetency. And you're good, you're, you're a fabulous individual contributor. So then they make you a team manager and you've got a small team. So you can still be, in, you can manage that team and you're a strong enough in, individual contributor. So the team is successful. So then you get a bigger team. And then you get a bigger team and each time you get a little bit less successful because we don't do leadership development. We do managerial development. True. And it's one thing to manage a team and, and keep things moving, but that doesn't grow an organization. 
And what I talk about for leadership is that leadership is the art of motivating a group of individuals to accomplish a goal. So when you're, when, when you as a leader can really articulate and share why this is important and why what they are doing is important. That's how I got things done. I was, you know, I was never the smartest person in the room. Um, sometimes not even the, the, you know, the longest, you know, a lot of times I was a consultant coming in, getting plopped into a team, just, you know, here you are. In fact, in fact, one team that I got hired to, to lead a number of years ago, they, they had asked a, a colleague of mine to be, if he would manage that team. And he said, oh no, the, the project, it was a 18 month project and they were nine months behind. Oh, wow. He said, no, but he said, but I know the perfect person. So I got pulled in to lead that team. And when I got there, the person that had taken it over just in the interim, because the previous ma manager had left. So they gave it, so she met with me, stack of papers like this, said, here, let's talk in the next couple of days. I didn't get her for two, I didn't get a chance to talk to her for two weeks. But I knew what to do. And the biggest thing is to listen. So I went into the first meeting with the team and just listened. And I could hear they were not clear what they needed to do. Hmm. So, you know, I said, I just, I asked them, what did they think that they were supposed to do? What were they out to accomplish? And we got it very narrowed down what they needed to accomplish and we got it done. But what I had given them was a lot of autonomy and a lot of enrollment in the, in what they were creating. Hmm. And I see that, that missing. There's so much of, so many leaders think that they can lead by telling and directing. Yeah. Yeah, you see this quite a bit in leadership uh, in many cases. And, um, and I think a big part of it is being able to recognize that different generations do things differently. And mm. just because they don't do so, and this is the, because usually we have like more senior people that are leaders today. And then we have new generations like Gen Zs and Gen, you know, uh, millennials kind of working for them right now, right? And, um, and, and it seems like there's a disconnect and it's like if, and, and maybe that's what's creating you know, for leadership on top, that's what's creating that maybe a lack of giving them the autonomy because they're like, well, I don't know if I can trust them to do things because they do things differently, but maybe it's just that. It's just they do things differently. And I think that a lot of leaders, and especially business is competitive. It's always been competitive, but especially now, and especially at least in the tech industry, right? So maybe it's just a fear of like letting go of that control 
But I agree with you. I think autonomy, that's what, you know, a lot of the generations coming in, that's what they look for. They look for that autonomy. They want to, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're bright, they are, you know, motivated, but their motivation gets killed real quickly. If they're with a leader who is like, uh, you know, stick and carrot type of, you know, old school approach, right. military style, like commands, it just doesn't work for, for, for most, most people coming into the workforce right now. And the thing is, it never really worked. Mm. That's why a few years ago, we started getting some real increases in productivity because leaders started looking at why, why do my people want to work? Mm. And you look at some of the companies where everybody's just really enrolled in what the company's doing mm -hmm. and knows what, what they're doing is important to that. Mm. And we all want to make a contribution. Mm. And yeah, that holding the carrot out in front, it's, it's, you're better off saying, here's a whole field of carrots. You get to choose the one you want. Now we're doing carrots. We're not doing celery. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, and I think it goes back to that. Uh, like you said, just in recent years, we've you know there's been a lot of reports that kind of came out and said people actually want something not just a salary and a paycheck that we had before. It was like you don't have to like your job now. There's the, the market in general, there's just so many more opportunities, like it's more of an employee market still today. Mm -hmm. And then it's just, you know, with the, with the remote work and everything and just tech coming out. And there's a lot of changes that has happened to force people to say, hey, I can actually do something that I enjoy. And I think a lot of people come at that mid-level to senior level in their career and they realize like, wait a minute, um, I'm not really happy doing what I'm doing. And they start to realize that they have choices. But now those choices are available from the minute, you know, you graduate high school. So you have a lot more choices versus maybe in the past, right? There wasn't yeah. as many choices and, and there was a lot of, you know, it's just the, the world was different. Um, and I think with that comes, well, I want to do something that gives me purpose, which goes back to the point you were making is like people want to enjoy what they're doing because, you know, burnout is on the rise. Mental health is an issue. And a big part of that is because we're so disengaged and dissatisfied and just unhappy in our jobs because we're not doing all the things that you're, you, you mentioned. We're not feeling that connected. Right, right. And I'm reading a book right now and it's called The Man Who Broke Capitalism. And it's, um, and it talks about in the early seventies when, when with the, the free market and that the role of business was really just to make money. For the for the shareholders, that was the role. Prior to that, in the in the forties, thirties, forties, and fifties, there had had become a movement where for companies to be good corporate citizens. And you look there in that time, there was a lot of innovation in that period of time. And then when the focus became on maximizing shareholder value, 
we really started losing a lot of ground because one of the best ways to look like you were making more money was to get rid of things like research and development because that's on the books that's an expense mm -hmm. and it doesn't directly generate revenue yep but you can't grow without it right and and there was a lot of layoffs and com they companies would shut down divisions because they could send it overseas for pennies on the dollar for the work but they lost engagement people employees lost their their identity their engagement with the organization so they became it became a job you do what you need to do to 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 not get fired yeah. pay the bills do what you need to do and that's it yeah and we are starting to come out of that and see especially like you say with with all the positions available with everything that the that's going on in industry people wanting to be entrepreneurs and starting their own businesses that they've got a great idea and all of a sudden they're they start growing so then they're hiring more people and they're giving their people more autonomy um it's we're really in a that's upending this whole cycle yeah. And I'm really committed that people have work that they love to do and that they're, they're paid, they're, they're valued for the work that they do. Yeah. I'm curious, you, you spend a lot of time on, um, uh, talking, talking about women in leadership and that's kind of mm -hmm. your, your niche. So talk to me a little bit, where did that come from? Was there a specific reason that you felt like, I mean, of course that's very much needed, but I'm just curious, like, what was it you're like, I really want to focus on women and leadership. What, how do you, how do you, how'd you come to that? Oh, there were a couple different, different reasons. One being in the military, being a woman in the military and then a woman in technology, there was a lot of, I was the only one and it would have been nice to see, especially in leadership. It would have been nice to see more women. Um, and I didn't know, you know, part of it was our lifestyle with my husband was an active duty military, so we were moving a lot. So I didn't get entrenched in a company. I was changing companies every three to four years. And so, so two of it, two of the things are one, I wanted to not be the only one in the room. And I wanted women to get more mentorship. 
and leadership development and more recognition. And in the research that I've been doing for the last five years or so as I've, I've been transitioning to this, women solve problems in different ways. And they look at things differently than men do. Not right, not wrong. And this, this includes diversity for all. I just happen to, to focus on women in tech. The more diversity you have it at your leadership table, the stronger the ideas are that you come up with. And that's, and we need that today. We have so many problems in the world and we need that diversity of thought to look at how can we solve these problems? And so I'm not saying by any means, we need to have women, women as the leaders. I'm saying we need to have balanced leadership so we have that diversity of thought. And that includes women of color, men of color. You look at the statistics and at entry level positions, it's fairly evenly spread. And by the time you get up to the C-suite, 28%, less than 28% in the C-suite are women and less than about 5% are women of color. Mm. So that's a real missing at that level for thought leadership. Mm. And do, do you think that part of it is, so I've, I've heard, you know, I've, I, I've, a few years back, I used to be very much involved in kind of the, the these sort of topics. Now, I, I remember I always used to hear two sides of the table. So on one side is, you know, the argument that, yes, women need that mentorship and that, you know, uh, and, and that's what, you know, that's a, that's why there's a lack up top because there's not that mentorship and that support. But then the other argument, you know, is that women are just choosing not to pursue certain senior level careers because they're choosing uh, family or they're choosing so they're just prioritizing their family versus career so it's not that so they're not even trying to get to the top they just don't want to get to the top and so hence there's a smaller percentage naturally of women so I'm just curious and there's two sides and I think it's the both are true but what do you think about that that well that's the challenge is both are true and then there's a third aspect too you know when when women kind of plateau at that mid-level and they don't see a possibility of moving forward. And society still looks at women as the primary family caretaker. Yeah. So you've got that to push against. You don't have, so it's a it's an additional financial and time commitment that women get tasked with, are, are tasked with. Mm -hmm. And women, and this is still way too true today, women are not supported from childhood 
to be leaders. So, and that's one of the, you know, there's, there's there, all these stereotypic stories and they're always so true. That's why they become stereotypes. You know, you get the two lawyers that just graduate, a man and a woman, young man and a young woman, and they graduate and they go work for a large law firm. And the, the man comes in saying, I'm going to make partner in five years. And the woman comes in and saying, I says, I'm going to do a great job. And the man makes partner in five years. And the woman goes, why didn't I make partner? And the partner board goes, we didn't know you wanted to be. Because mm. as women, we're not encouraged to ask for what we want. It's not like we, yeah, we have to ask versus for men, it's more uh, like it's an automatic, it's a given that that's, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. And, and I see that, I see that in my life. I see that in the lives of people I know, you know, they're, they're women that I know waiting around for somebody to recognize how, how great they are. And when I ask, have you told anybody what you want next? They go, oh no, like, like it's against the law. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Part of it is the uh, the responsibility of, of us as women, I guess, to also not be afraid to. Yeah, I mean, I, I deal with clients all the time who are just afraid to to ask or feel like they're not good enough or not qualified. And that's interesting because you're right. It starts with childhood, and uh, um, and again, to be fair, there's certain things that also you know, a men get affected over as children, but society, like if we just look at the overall picture, it's definitely true that we, we tend to not put in that message to the, um, uh, to the, to the girls versus the boys. And, and especially in some parts of the world where culturally it's also a taboo on right aspects that even becomes even more complicated, but even in America, we see this quite, um, uh, quite broadly. So um, and still in today in STEMs um, topics are very much, you know, male dominate, dominant mm -hmm. um, to this day in tech and tech, it's still very male dominated industry and in software development. It's still, um, you know, high, high percentage of men are leading on that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So just to shift gears a, bit, a little bit, because you've also written a book um, and I want you to talk a little bit about that. I've read oh. it. And I, I, my first question is, yes, put your big girl panties on and kick fears in the face. So what I like about, and I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering, so you have little um, notes in it, like little drawings. Is it your actual drawings? Yes, I actually do those. And it's such a funny story. I, I had been dealing with some of my fears and, and so I I drew these little, you know, pen, usually they'd be a pen drawing. Um, and it was the, it, they were doodles really. And I remember in, in middle school, junior high and high school, I would do these. And, and so the, the, that latent talent, I <laughs> was still there. And I even had to, I had to deal with my fear about that. Cause I, I have a brother who's a fabulous artist. Um, and so I had, to, it was like, yeah, but these are just little, and I, 
and a, a friend of mine said, you need to stop calling them little drawings because that minimizes them. And the reality is they are small drawings, mm -hmm. but they're, but that person was right. They were not, they're not little drawings. That's, that's, that's how another way that women minimize what they do. Yeah. So I'd had these drawings as I was dealing with some of my fears and breakthroughs. And I was at a, re a women's retreat. And my roommate was a, another woman from Colorado and she had a dog training business out in Colorado. So, you know, we're sitting there the first night having a glass of wine, talking, getting to know each other. And for some reason, I pulled out my phone. I had them as little as pictures on my, on my phone mm -hmm. and I pulled it out and I shared some of these drawings with her. She said, those are so good. Those are, they are, they just hit the spot. She said, you need to write a book. I said, oh yeah. And what would I call the book? And she said, oh, put your big girl panties on and kick your fears in the ass. I said, oh, that would be, yeah, that's really kind of what I was feeling like. So I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I found out later that before she became a dog trainer in Colorado, she was a fashion designer in New York. Wow. I said, if I had ever known that, I would never have shown those drawings to you. <laughs> and on the other hand, it really validated the impact that those drawings could have. Mm -hmm. so, so then I got another um, experience on putting your big girl panties on and standing up and kicking your fears in the ass is I had, I had the book all put together and I had it published and I was going to share it at a leadership breakfast that I go to. And I called my, my women's circle, a couple of my friends. And I said, I, I can't stand up at this leadership table at this leadership breakfast and say, I'm the author of this book, put your big girl panties on and kick your fears in the ass because it's like 90 percent with men there mm -hmm. I was like she said I said I need to change the title or something and they were like no no you don't you need to do that you can do it you can do it I said oh and in many ways I'm very brave but this was just this was stepping really out on those that skinny branch I said, okay I'll do it so I go to the breakfast the next morning and yep, it's like 95% men. I think there were like four women there. <laughs> so you go around the table and you stand up and you say, all you get to do is say your name and your company name, but you can do something different, like say a book title or, or a course you're doing, but you, you don't get more than like those two sentences. So I stand up. And I say, my name's Jane Lovis, and I'm the author of, and I hold the book up, put your big girl panties on and kick your fears in the ass. And I was sure that there was going to be everybody burst out laughing. And then I sit down 
and everybody's still laughing and it takes him a minute to, to calm down. And the guy next to me, it's his turn. He stands up and he says, I forgot my big girl panties today. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you know, explodes again. And it's like, okay, that was pretty scary and nothing happened. Yeah, absolutely. It's always bigger in our heads, right? It is. And what I love about the, the book and the drawings is that it tells a story. It tells, it, it's just, a, it's, it tells a really nice story. It's just, and I love that, um, not to give it away, but kind of who, who would you recommend this book to? Let's say, who, is, who, who did you write it for, I guess? Like, who is your audience? Primarily women, mm -hmm. but anybody that's stuck. Mm. It's just, it, it's all, kind of, and you're right. I put it in kind of a, a progression. So it's a little story and it's got some questions to ask yourself. And it's, for most of us, we know it. And what I saw was that the drawings supported that knowing. Because a lot of, a lot of that stuff that we think we know, we, we, we intellectually know it, but we don't really know it. Mm. And we can't really deal with it until we know it, till we really get that, okay, that's the way I'm behaving or that's what I really believe. For example, and I'll just come clean. I discovered another one yesterday. You know, we all have all these and, and it's not like we ever get, totally get rid of them. And I was, I've been doing, you know, the work on my business and marketing and stuff. And, and I realized, ah, oh, this is such a struggle. And I've had periods of time in my life where everything just kind of magically came in. And the last couple of years have really been a struggle and, and part of it, you know, COVID and, and this, but it's really coming from me. And I realized, oh, I have this idea that life and my business has to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And I can choose, but I had to get it. It wasn't just enough to say it. I really had to get it internally that that's actually what I believe. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just say, well, that's stupid. I don't believe that. No, it's like I was really believing that. And so, and I didn't know that I was believing it. Once you know what you're believing, then you can begin to change it. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways and this is part of the coaching that I do too. One of the ways is we share it. Because when you can share something and just be with other people's reaction, one, it's never what you thought it was going to be. And it frees you up. Mm-hmm. By saying these things out loud, because when they're running around in our head, they take on so much power. Yes. I always like to ask the question, what's the worst that will happen? 
<laughs> yeah. It's usually very insignificant and it's not worth holding back whatever it is that you're trying to do or say or accomplish, et cetera. So it's, uh, yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I think, and you're right, sometimes we, we get so caught up and we know, we even know, we see ourselves kind of believing certain things. We know we shouldn't believe, but you're right. You, you cannot just say it. You have to truly believe it. And that's very different from just kind of thinking it or like, like you, you, you kind of understand, but then once it hits you, you're like, oh, that's why. Like you might've known about it, but then when, it, when you actually feel it, you're like, oh, right. That's what that is. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so where can people get in touch with you? Where do you usually hang out with online, um, at online or anything that, where can people do, get the book? Where can they reach out to you? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm an open networker. I connect with just about everybody. Um, once in a while, I see somebody that's, that just doesn't look appropriate, but otherwise I connect with, with everyone. Um, and my website is lovis, L-O-V as in Victor, A-S, consulting.com. And you can sign up, you know, there to get on my mailing list and get a copy of my book from there. All right. Then one last question for you. If you had a magic stick to, I don't know, improve leadership, what would that be? Oh, that every leader was really clear and could articulate their vision and their why. And it's not their vision statement. It's really their vision for their organ for their company and the impact they want to have in the world. And that they could share really share that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for joining me and for sharing your story. And uh, hopefully we'll have another chat for your next book. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. This has been so great. Thank you.